me pray and then I'm going to get to work, okay? God, thanks for the day today. Man, thank you for this day. Uh, we've been working so hard um, for, it seems like, a long time, and yet uh, we're, <laughs> we're just shocked by the fact that it's actually here and we get to do this. Uh, and uh, I, I pray, Lord, um, mostly that um, you would enjoy the things you see today because I'm continually reminded that you're the audience, that um, you know, even though we, we set this up, there's a stage and there's an audience, the fact of the matter is, is that we're all here for you and uh, that you um, are the one that we are, uh, you know, want to please. So God, would you uh, be among us today? Uh, would you speak to us as we have offered praise and thanksgiving? God, uh, today is your day. We are rejoicing. We are glad in it. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And everyone who loves Jesus said, Amen. Amen. <coughs> All right. Now I get to go to work. I was uh, sitting uh, in a coffee shop <clears throat> in Savannah, Georgia. Um, in fact, let me have a nice slide. Was yeah, there it is right there, the sentient bean. Yeah, that's a cool place. Um, I was sitting there because I was in grad school, and across the table from me, um, besides the coffee, was um, uh, another grad student. We were talking about something in class. And whenever you work on a long project, I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you're, when you're talking with someone over a period of time, eventually you stop talking about the project, and you start talking about things that are going on in your life, right? I mean, at least I hope that that's what your experience is. And in the course of talking about life, I don't know how this happened, but we started talking about church. And uh, now most of the people in my graduate program knew what I did for a living, that I was a pastor. And, and for those of you who don't know, I'm a pastor and went to art school. It's a long story. I'll explain it to you later sometime. Um, but I'm in, I'm in art school, and I'm sitting across from this guy, and we're talking about church. And he makes this comment to me. <clears throat> Some of you may have heard this story, but yeah, he makes this comment to me. He says, I don't like churches. I'm not sure about Christianity, but I don't know what to do with you. <laughs> now, please understand, I've been married 22 years, so the last part of that statement, I don't know what to do with you, I'm familiar with. <laughs> I didn't heard that one before. But the lead up to that was kind of a, a, a thing, and I'm like, I, and I, I'm, I'm listening to him kind of you know, bag on the church, and I, had, and I kind of laughed, and I said, whoa, time out. I said, you realize it's, it's my tribe, right? And he, he says to me, I'll never forget this, he looks me dead in the eye, and he says, you're just different. <laughs> yeah, right, thanks, you know, I mean, it's kind of a puzzling sort of thing. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. And I, I, I don't know where that came from, and, and I still, you know, I, I play that conversation back in my mind over and over again, and, and the fact of the matter is, is it, it could have been any number of things. It could have been something I said. It could have been something um, more like what I, the way I said it. Or, or maybe it was just the fact that I was actually sitting down and getting to know him, and he was getting to know me, and, and we are developing this relationship. I, I, I don't know what it was. But I can tell you this, that for me, it illustrated something very, very profound. And it's simply this, that the church in this country has an image problem. It really does. 
That is an image problem, <laughs> especially during an election year. Because if you're anywhere remotely akin to evangelical Christian, you're reduced to a voting block. You know, regardless of which way you're going to vote, I, I really don't care. Um, but the, the point is that that we are more than a voting block, but that's what we're perceived as. You know landmark study a few years ago, the Barna organization, these are the pollsters, they, uh, they did a, a massive study of, of the church here in the United States, and a couple of the guys wrote a book, it's called Unchristian. Here it is right here. And uh, it's, it's a great book. Um, no, it's not a great book, it's a painful book to read, to be honest. Uh, because they, they looked at a variety of different demographics, but they concentrated on, at the time, 20 to 30-year-olds, and, and were, were commenting about some of the attitudes. And, and the three things that they learned from, from this demographic, this age category, was that the church, um, the church's image had three parts. It was hypocritical, it was pushy, and it was judgmental. Put sign me up for that, right? <laughs> hypocritical, pushy and judgmental. You know, statistics and the impressions that people actually had created this very sad image of what the church was. And the bottom line, throughout that entire study, and, and what this book essentially argues, is that people who are outside of the church, whatever that means, people outside of the church, understand more about what the church is against then, then they, they know really what it's for, right? I mean, we understand, they understand, well, I don't like that, I don't like this, I don't like that, but they don't, don't understand what the church is actually for. Next slide. <clears throat> Maybe not the next slide, sorry. Um, anyway, if, if you only define yourself by what you're not, um, you can't really do that, because here's the reason why. You're always answering things in the negative. No, 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 no. You're allowing somebody else to define you, right? And, and you're constantly reactionary because you're just, you're reacting against the things that you're seeing. And, and you, you cannot define yourself by what you're not. So if everyone knows what we're against and not what we're for, we're kind of defining ourselves by what we're not. Does that make sense? And that is a problem for all of us. And so here's the thing for me. As a brand new church, what do I do with that? What is it that I do with that set of statistics, with that study that's out there? And it seems to me that there are three traps that we can fall into when we deal with this. Give me the next, uh, next slide. Next one. Yeah, here are the three traps. Here's the first one. First one is, is that um, they're all wrong. They're all wrong. So all those people who are leaving the church, they're just wrong. Some go, that's fine, they're all wrong. Well, okay, that, that's easy for us to say, but there's this old marketing adage, at least I remember from, from my marketing days. Perception is reality. And you cannot dismiss an entire, fairly large group of people outright. You can't just dismiss them. Here's the second trap that I think it's easy to fall into, is uh, business as usual, do nothing. Which, by the way, most most of the churches within the broader American church, this is their approach. We just don't do anything. We don't know what to do. So we don't do anything at all. Um, 
statistically, the 20 to 30 year old age category are leaving the church in droves. And what's interesting is they don't necessarily leave their faith, but they leave the church, which I find fascinating. So if we do nothing, we're, you know, we're you know, basically you know, starving ourselves of, of young energy, which that, that doesn't sound like the gospel to me either. So here's the third one. The third one is to abandon ship. <laughs> it's just to join the 20 and 30 year olds and say, no, I've had it with the institutional church and I'm walking out the door. And by the way, when I talk to people, and I talk to people a lot um, during the weeks, and one of the things that I find is, well, I don't like the institutional church. <coughs> And my, my rejoinder is usually, yeah, me neither. And then they're looking at me funny. Wait, you're up. Yeah, I know. That's all right. And, and the reason I say that is because I, I kind of have a confession to make. I, I've fallen into all three of those traps at one point or another. I just have. I, I'm just going to be straight up honest with you. I mean, there was a point in my life where I'm like, ah, forget it. Don't care about them. Let them go. Don't need them. Ah. And there have been plenty of times where I've not done anything at all. And, and can I be completely transparent? There are days where I'm like, I've had it. I'm done. I don't want it would just be easier for me to follow Jesus on my own. And then I had a conversation with my 15-year-old daughter. She doesn't know that I'm, I'm going to talk about this. I'll pay her a dollar later. So. <laughs> Some of you have heard this story, but I think it bears repeating here. Because um, we were driving back from a one of her uh, theater rehearsals, and she said that a conversation had ensued with some of her castmates. And in the course of the conversation, um, one of them said um, that they were Christians in their family, but they didn't attend church. And my daughter looked at me, she said, Dad, what do you think about that? And so um, I did a very wise thing. I stalled. Um... I had to think about that one for a moment because this was a very profound question. And here's something that she hears, and Dad's a pastor, and we've been part of the church for a long period of time, and, and Dad, what do you think about that? And as I was thinking, it dawned on me, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not claiming any kind of wisdom. I think this was divine intervention, frankly. Um, he said to her, if Christianity is just about going to heaven, then yeah. Sure, you can be a Christian and act by the church. But if Christianity is something more than just going to heaven, and I think that it is, I think that it is about following Jesus and learning to be like him. If you want to do that, if that's the goal of your Christianity, you kind of have to have other people around. You kind of have to live in community. And The church is made up of people. And if you haven't noticed, people are messy. In fact, um, if your church isn't messy, it's very likely that you're doing something wrong. Who's going to say that? Yeah. Uh, There's something else that kind of brought me back to the idea of the church and, and actually serves as you know, some of the foundation of the, the Thrive Church that we have today. Um, let me just make a comment early on. You know, we, we have this, this book that we call the Bible, but the fact of the matter is it's not really a book. It's a series of books written by different authors to different people at different points in time with different agendas about different subject matter. 
Therefore, it is, by definition, a library of books. And there are some things that are in this book that kind of got me to think a little bit more deeply about, about church in general. And throughout this library, the, the church is referred to as, as several different things, okay? Um, in one case, the church is considered the temple because that's where, where God actually dwells. Um, and there's another place in the Bible through some kind of mental gymnastics that the church is really a group of people who are called out of one place and are assembled together somewhere else. I'll let you try to figure that one out at lunch. Okay. And then there's this, there's this one author, his, his name is Paul, and he wrote to a group of Christians in a city called Corinth, which is in Greece. And um, he wrote uh, a letter to them, and in that letter he, he wrote this. Just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many parts. And so Paul was trying to explain to us that the church is a body. It's a great metaphor for this group of people. It's one that we'll probably return to um, over and over again. But there's one other one. There's another, there's another metaphor that we find throughout the text. In a couple of different places, the church is referred to as the bride. <coughs> the bride of Christ. Now, i got to be honest. Um, I got my fair share of testosterone in me too, and so, you know, thinking about the bride is kind of makes me a little uncomfortable. But it's true. It talks about the fact that the church is the bride of Christ. And it's a, it's a, it's a powerful metaphor because I think what it does is it shows us that, that God values her. God values the church. God has a plan for the church. And as messy as the church might be, <laughs> God chooses to work through her. Did you hear that? God chooses to work through this thing called the church. And at the very end of the Bible, in the last book of the library, in the very last chapter, there is this beautiful picture of what I believe the church can be. Here it is. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. So let me get this straight. If the bride is the church, and I think that it is here, <coughs> bride is the church and the spirit working together, what do they say? Come. Why? Because there's living water. The water of life is here, and you can drink of it. For me, I, you know, I, I look at that and I think, yeah, I, I want the church to be working in conjunction with the Spirit and offering something that is life-giving. And so when people like you and me follow Jesus and band together and endeavor to become what God has intended for us, i, I got to be honest, I can't wait to see what those kind of results are. 
And when we focus on being the partner with the Spirit and offering this thing called life-giving water, guess what? You avoid the traps. Because the point is, it's not about what they're doing. It's about this thing that, that is changing us and shaping us and molding us and, and causing living water to come and fill us and do things inside of us. And so where else, where else in this world can you find a place where, where Jesus can come in and do some pretty fantastic work, like taking despair and turning it into hope, taking pain and giving you healing. Where else can you find a place where you can exchange your guilt and shame for forgiveness? Where can you have loneliness and turn it into, into belonging? And where else can you take confusion and find purpose? Hope, healing, forgiveness, belonging, purpose. You know, I look at those things, and that sounds like life to me. How about you? Life. It's about this life. So in the coming weeks, um, we're going to be talking about, about Jesus. We're going to be talking about you and me. We're going to be talking about Thrive Church. And really how the church is the place where you can find life. I really believe that. This is the place where we find life through Jesus. So let me, let me just kind of say up front on our very first Sunday that my hope and all of our work that we've been doing would be that Thrive Church would be a life-giving place. And my deepest desire is that when people walk in these doors, they say, I don't know what to do with you people. You're just different.